Welcome to Travels in a Mathematical World, a podcast from the Institute of Mathematics and its applications, the IMA. My name is Peter Rowlett, this is episode 56. 56 is the sixth tetrahedral number, meaning it is the sum of the first six triangular numbers. This week on the podcast is part two of the conversation I had with Edmund Harris of the University of Leicester. Last week we heard about Edmund's research in tiling patterns and how this led him into maths outreach. This time we discuss a range of topics around enthusing people about mathematics and how mathematical ideas are developed and taught. Right. Um, I don't know. You've given me these. <laughs> so do you want to... Shall I pass you? So may- maybe we can start by you uh, having a look through them and right. sort of describing. Okay. okay. And so I'm... I started at one end and they were all the same. Um, they're, they're mixed up badly. Yes, I see. <laughs> yes. Um, it's the, the, the best is when you get... Uh, they're... they're um, get, get children fighting, or not quite fighting, over. I gave them to the two um, uh, maths consultants, right. and they, st- they immediately got on the floor and, t- and swapping. <laughs> yes. I see. So there isn't an order that I'm supposed to maintain. No. <laughs> so these are. I, so you want me to say, So these are cards uh, with various images on, some of which are more famous than others, I think, or at least more known to me. Uh, than others. There are some certain um, famous fractals, and there's a writing on the back uh, about each one. Is that right? Yeah. So this is a set of, uh, they're called to- Ptolemy math cards. Yeah. Um, the, the original set of 16 was designed by uh, Heim Goodman Strauss, who's a professor oh, yes. in the University of Arkansas. And the idea is... Um, bring Pokemon to mathematics, uh, sort of collect, you know, you have to collect the whole set. Um, he, he designed the original 16, I've now designed an, a, a second set of 16, and they, they cover various elements of, of mathematics, uh, from three-dimensional spirographs to the travelling salesman problem, yeah. um, most geometric or visual. Um, each one has an image on one side and then some text which is designed to be accessible um, on the other um, but they have a fairly ambitious goal the, the, the idea is to, to actually communicate some really some level of research or, or university mathematics um, and so some of them are less readable than others um, the hope is that they, they, they sort of get out slightly viral and um, people, people collect them and out of interest in the image um, want to find out about what it means on the back and, and are willing to, to study. The, the goal is to, to try and find those, those occasional people who, who really want to put more of an investment of their time or of themselves, rather than something that, that gives you an obvious fact and then, then you can move on. Um, something I like is the idea of pushing that there are mysteries and beauty in mathematics and so it's not about, you need to be taught something and understand it perfectly. Yes. Actually, the school level mathematics in some ways, what we don't say some of the time is, is how, how difficult it is. I mean, the, if you look at Archimedes, who's one of the greatest geniuses of the, of the history of mathematics, the, the system of fractions he used was 
just to use two thirds, one third, and a half, and then a quarter, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth, sometimes called Egyptian fractions. And imagine doing any sort of multiplication or addition in that system. Hmm. Um, you know, many of the, the algorithms and the systems we use today only came in during the, the 17th century. Hmm. And so what was essentially graduate level work in the 17th century, we now teach to primary school children. Yes. And I, I'm not saying we shouldn't teach it to primary school children, but maybe it would help if we gave that message to people. No, this isn't something you should know and you're stupid if you don't know. Mm. This is one of these great historical creations of, of humanity that yes. we've brought together over thousands of years. Yes. And you know, you're privileged to, 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 to be able to... to, to be at, live at a time when you, when you can be presented in mm. such a way that at seven you can be, be taught this. Mm. Uh, and you know, uh, this combined with ways of showing the, the you know, more than the Mandelbrot set, yes, yes. Uh, the beauty of, of, of mathematics, mm. we can get that impression that mathematics is this, this deep uh, work of, of creation from, from, from humanity. It's not just something we use to torture. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking to a lecturer yesterday, actually, who was, she said she'd been talking to a student about the empty set, and the student was having yeah. proper problems with the empty set, and how do we measure the size of this if it's, if it's empty, and how, do we, how does it exist as an object? And she said during the course of this conversation, she came to a real feeling of how people had problems originally with zero, when zero was originally introduced as something that you could deal with yes. as, an, <laughs> as an object, an actual mathematical object, which of course you, you just are taught it and it seems fine. But, yeah. And she said she got a, a real sense of how these ideas evolved and how mm. students are presented with them fully formed yeah. and sort of take for granted the, that some processes happened beforehand yeah. that they don't know about. And yeah. uh, uh, Andrew Wiles has this example of the, the process of mathematical discovery being like going into a darkened room. You start feeling about and eventually you get familiar that there's a chair and a, uh, a, a table and eventually you find the light switch and then you can press it and you can see everything clearly. Yes. And... The problem is that having pressed that light switch, mm. it's not always trivial to show someone else where the light switch is. Right. You can, you, it's more direct in that you don't have to do all the feeling about. You can mm. give them the direct path to the light mm. switch. But you, do, you need, it takes a lot of work to, to understand the, these things still. And once you can see the room mm. clearly, yeah. it's not obvious the problem that someone else yes, is having. Yes. Uh, sometimes, why, 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 to get political, why, why the, the ideas of the uh, David Cameron to, to try and increase the, the standards of teachers mm. by saying only high grades. Yes. Sometimes it's people who have struggled mm. with maths who can become brilliant maths teachers to help people because they can appreciate yes. th that. And if I, I've heard that said. If you've never struggled to understand something, you can't understand. You can't explain it in an alternate way for your for your students so that they can understand it. Yeah. It's yeah. Comprehending incomprehension is a, a phrase I heard right. somewhere. <laughs> yes. And this lecturer I was talking with was to, yeah. um, essentially, I've heard it said before that there's a problem with the way the way a mathematical, say a mathematical proof is presented as a finished mm. object. Yeah. And that's never or almost never how it was arrived at, as you yeah. said, the fumbling around in the dark. You start at the end point and then you make a nice convenient backstory to get you there. Yeah. And that's how you teach things. 
And the, the, the sort of consequence of this is that students never see, see what's happened along the way and never, never really understand that. And she was talking about how this, how this comes from history, because essentially what you're doing is you're doing this technique of mathematics, which is this complicated thing, fumbling around in the dark, as you say. You arrive at the finished object, then you produce a convenient, beautiful backstory to explain how you got there, which isn't necessarily how you got there, but it helps people, people's uh, interpretation of it. And actually, she said, that's in some ways, that's preserving your skill, because a few hundred years ago, you would be the court astronomer, say, and if you can predict where the planets are going to be, that's your trade, yes. that's your secret source. <laughs> so you don't want to give people the proper explanation yeah. of how you got there. You want to give them a nice story that keeps them entertained, but you don't necessarily want to show them all the, the dirty steps in the way so that they can replicate it themselves. And she was talking about how now, as a society, we're quite keen that mathematics is something that everyone can do. But sometimes the way it's taught harks back to this old style of yeah. kind of obscuring the, the real process that goes on. I think also in terms of textbooks and um, maths at university, the other big influence is Bourbaki. And their style of um, writing textbooks was very much present this crystal, yes. this finished form, without any intuition or it was the design to sort of write a rigorous... Um, and this is... Very good in some ways, in the sense of preserving the, not the skill, but mm. the mathematics. Yes. But it's not so good in terms of how do you get, or why, what are the questions yes. that you're solving? Because the questions actually come right at the end of this process. Mm. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's better to, to, to start with the questions and make sure that you're actually answering something concrete or something that you can put into some some real problem, mm. with real being a very loose term yes. in that sense. <laughs> yes. and, and, and the same thing, uh, what you said about teachers can also apply to research students. Because again, if what you're good at is learning a proof and using that in an exam, say, you aren't necessarily therefore having the skills that you need to be a PhD student. And often a PhD yeah. student hasn't necessarily been the best at doing exams, but knows what they, they know the feel of how to explore and they know how to ask the question, you know, slightly silly questions that take them down, <laughs> down dead ends constantly. And, and that's kind of, again, that's the sort of skill you need to, to be really doing. I heard a nice story about um, Tim Gowers. Yeah. Uh, he said the best thing about getting the Fields Medal mm. was that um, he could ask stupid questions without worrying. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, he had a Fields Medal, so nobody is going to say, <laughs> that was, <laughs> how can you ask such a stupid question? Yes. Um, and I think there's also, there is some truth in that, that people will be judged on the questions they ask. Yes. You know, nobody, obviously, is going to judge a Fields medalist based mm. on asking a stupid question. But if you're a, a, a younger researcher in the yes. room and there's somebody there who has no experience of you and all mm. they hear is something that's mm. obvious to them, yes. there is this pressure not to ask questions that is, um, I mean, there's many people who... People try, we, we try our best to, to get rid of it, but I think there is something real there that you yeah. do have to be slightly careful. Something a bit limiting, um, yeah. About asking the question that if you thought for five minutes, you might be able to, mm. to, to answer, yeah. but you don't have five minutes. Yes. yes. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. You can find the link to subscribe to the podcast, download other episodes, and get show notes relating to each episode at www.travelsinamathematicalworld.co.uk. To find out more about what I do for the IMA, you can follow me on Twitter, where I am Peter Rowlett, or visit my website, peterrowlett.net, and Rowlett is spelled R O W 
L-E-T-T. Thank you for listening.